Hello everybody, you're listening to the When in Spain podcast. I'm your host, Paul Burge. A very warm welcome to you, wherever you're listening from around the world. I'm talking to you from the centre of a sweltering hot Madrid. Yep, summer is in full swing, that's for sure. And if you're new to this podcast, well, what I aim to do is transport you to Spain, explore a bit of the lifestyle, culture, history, language, day-to-day life from the point of view of me, an Englishman in Madrid. And, well, this episode is no exception. I'm going to be whisking you down into Castilla-La Mancha, about two hours' drive south of Madrid to a small town called Valdepeñas. Now, the name Valdepeñas may ring a few bells for some of you. Uh, in fact, you may have seen the name Valdepeñas printed on bottles of wine. Um, I would say that's probably uh, what Valdepeñas is most well known for, certainly domestically within Spain. Uh, Castilla-La Mancha is a huge wine-producing region of Spain, a wine-producing area, Um, and I think it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest, by quantity uh, in the whole wide world. So it's definitely wine country. Um, I headed down there last weekend with three friends, Matt, Chris and Adam. We hired a car. We wanted to get out of Madrid. So we did a one night over in Valdepeñas. And uh, well, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be uh, looking at a bit of the history of Valdepeñas. We're going to be talking about wine, of course. And we're going to be talking uh, about its connections with Miguel de Cervantes and Don Quixote, of course. And one of my friends who you will be hearing uh, in a minute in the podcast, Matthew Jennings, Esquire. M.A. He'll really appreciate me saying that. He used to live in Valdepeñas, actually. He lived there for a year before moving up here to Madrid. So we're going to look at a bit of the history, a bit of what the town is like. But really, we're going to be chatting about small town life in Spain, what it's like to live, not in one of the big cities that most people think to move to when they come to live and work in Spain, like Madrid or Barcelona or Sevilla or Bilbao or Valencia. We're going to be quizzing Matt about what it was like to live in Valdepeñas, a town of 33,000 people. He was one of only four, well, how can I put it, giddies, native English speakers, non-Spaniards, however you want to look at it, and to get his take on what it was like to live and work in uh, uh, in deep Spain, I suppose, for a year. And we're going to be making some comparisons with life here in Madrid, uh, comparing small town life in Spain with big city life here in Spain. And we'll be chit-chatting about numerous other things as well that uh, come up during our conversation over a few beers and tapas in the centre of Valdepeñas. So stay tuned for that, uh, especially if you're interested in coming to live and work in Spain in the future. Um, Just before we get into the friendly banter in Valdepeñas, I would just like to say a big thank you to brand new When in Spain patrons. Uh, So a big thank you to Alistair Gordon, John McDade, Matt Cox, Alan Foley and Spencer Jones. A really big thank you to all of you guys, Alistair, John, Matt, 
Alan and Spencer. Thank you for signing up to become a patron and support the When in Spain podcast, support the work that I do in putting the show together and bringing it to you guys. Um, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for your generous uh, donations. Uh, if anyone else enjoys the podcast and would like to support it and like to see it continuing into the future, into the long term, then you too can become a When in Spain patron. It's really easy. All you need to do is head across to Patreon dot com forward slash when in spain it's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash when in spain patreon in case you weren't sure is a crowdfunding website which uh, gives um, you guys the opportunity to support content creators like me uh, that you enjoy so if you do enjoy it please do consider signing up and becoming a patron i would hugely appreciate it uh, just to say that when in spain has a new website so if you haven't done so yet go and check out when in spain podcast.com uh, all the episodes are on there available to stream so if you prefer listening from your i don't know desktop or laptop computer rather than your smartphone uh, you can stream all of the episodes there i'm in the process of updating all of the 70 odd episodes that i've made over the last two years with more detailed show notes photos videos that kind of thing everything that relates to the various episodes we're also on uh, all the usual social media hangouts we've got a, an active uh, when in spain facebook group as well when in spain is also on instagram if you like photography from around spain and incidentally there are a few little photos and videos from Valdepeñas uh, which correspond to this episode go and give us a follow on instagram the handle is at when in Spain one. Anyway, enough self-promotion. Let's whisk you off down to Baldepeñas in Castilla Mancha, and I will hand you over to Matthew Jennings. El campo de la Mancha tiene que tiene de pampano y olivo vestido verde. So Matt, tell us where we are at the moment. Paint a picture for us. Well, we're currently in a little square, the Placita de Valbuena in Valdepeñas, Ciudad Real, in the, the autonomous community of Castilla Mancha. I've only been here once before with you, um, I think last year, and I'd heard of it purely because of the wine, because you quite commonly find Valdepeñas red wine. We are in Castilla Mancha, uh, which is quite well known for red wine, but tell us a bit more about Valdepeñas itself. There are three reasons that people know about Valdepeñas. One is, as you said, because of the wine, and it is famous for the, for the production of wine, lots of vineyards around here, and the Fiestas del Vino, um, the wine parties at the beginning of September are incredibly famous, uh, said to be some of the best local festivities in all of Spain. Um, you know, they attract big names, people to come and perform here. So that's one of the reasons. Um, it's not the best wine you'll get in Spain. It doesn't really compete with La Rioja, for example, but it's, you know, it's good wine. It's fine. It's, you know, it's not, it's not going to break the bank. It's decent wine. Um, the next reason is because it's on the Autovía de Andalucía, which is the main motorway that links Madrid with the south of Spain. You see it on road signs. People, it's one of the bigger towns on that motorway, so people stop here. It's between Madrid and Córdoba. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a good place to stop. People know it for that reason. And the other one because of, would be because of its links with Don Quixote. The, you know, the masterpiece of Spanish literature. Well, tell us a bit more about that. So this was, uh, um, you know, I mean, it was shot, shot. just to say for the listeners, you actually did a, a master's. Was that your thesis? Yeah, I wrote my master's thesis on the 17th century English reception of Don Quixote. And you also have a tattoo of uh, 
a scene from Don, Don Quixote as well on, uh, on, your, on your chest. Yeah, yeah thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I, I, do, I do. Yeah, well, I wanted something that I wanted something that was intensely personal to me. Having written my master's thesis on this on this text, and also having lived in La Mancha, which has got a lot of associations with the work, um, it seemed like the right thing to do. Um, and when I talk about its associations, the opening line of Don Quixote is "En un lugar de la Mancha de cuyo nombre no quiero acordarme," in a place in Castilla Mancha whose name I don't wish to remember. And there's been a lot of speculation about where this is. It's possibly Valdepeñas, mm-hmm. right? It's possibly Valdepeñas. Um, also, lots of places in Ciudad Real have had their, their name kind of bantered about as, as possible, possible places for where Don Quixote is from. Um, the work is the most famous work of Spanish literature and is actually, I believe, the second most widely, spelling work of, um, widely selling work of literature in world history after the Bible. It was written by Miguel de Cervantes, the first part in 1605 and the second part in 1615. Miguel de Cervantes being essentially the Spanish Shakespeare, died interestingly on the same day as Shakespeare in 1616, and famously from Alcalá de Henares, just outside Madrid. Yeah. And yeah, this is, this is his land, this is his tierra in that sense. And um, one of the most famous scenes of the, of the, of the I'm not going to call it a novel because it's kind of a proto-novel in that sense, but one of the most famous scenes of the text is where Don Quixote mistakes windmills for giants because he's gone mad and he attacks them. And you'll have seen coming in here in the car and coming on the train, the, uh, when it, however you get here, that this is a very flat land. It's in La, La Meseta of Spain, very flat, very windy. There are lots of windmills. Nowadays, you see more wind turbines than windmills, but lots of windmills. And you can start to see immediately that association. And just walking around here, just walking around, and we'll see, I'll show you later on, Paul, that there are lots and lots of statues, monuments that are kind of pay homage to that text and um, for example just outside the flat where I used to live there's a statue of Dulcinea del Toboso the beloved of Don Quixote and I'll show, as I'll show you later on but it actually has two sides the statue one of them is the humble kind of country bumpkin that she actually is uh-huh. and the other the other side of the statue is this beautiful kind of noble which Don Quixote imagines her as so um, there are lots and lots of references to the work here and uh, that's the other reason why Valdepeñas in this part of Spain has a lot of fame. That's why it's on the map. So wine and Don Quixote. Now, population, you're saying it's about 30,000? Yeah, for a fraction over. I think about 33,000 it was when I lived here. Yeah. A lot of the people here work in either hospitality or in the wine industry. And also bodegas here, the wineries. So we are about two hours' drive from south from Madrid. Yeah, almost exactly. Yeah. Almost, almost exactly two hours south from Madrid. So like you said, it's a key stop-off. Um, for people travelling south down to Andalusia as well. Um, so tell us a bit more about the actual history of the city of Valdepeñas itself. Yeah, I mean, the, the name comes from uh, the Valley of Rocks, the Valdepeña, Valle de, de Peñas, yeah? mm-hmm. literally a, a, a valley of rocks. A peña is a big rock, yeah. among other things in Spanish. And what is famous, I mean, the other, word for pe- the other thing that peña means as well is like a, a group of basically drinking mates uh, in, the, in the local festivities. Um, <laughs> That, that meaning as well has some relevance. Um, That's but, useful for a cab. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for those of you that are starting out learning Spanish. But um, one of the things that are most interesting about Valapanis, I always call it a pueblo, yeah. like, a, like a town, but probably in terms of population, I'd say it is a town. But technically, it's actually um, a ciudad, una ciudad heroica. Uh-huh. I'll show you the, the escudo, the shield in the, in the main square in a minute. Um, um, what that refers to is when Napoleon came to, to Spain, he, he absolutely tore through Spain, conquering it. 
Um, but they, he only got as far as the town just to the north of Valdepeñas, which is called Manzanares, Manzanares. but he couldn't conquer Valdepeñas. And that's why it's a Ciudad Heroica, because it stood up and refused to be conquered by the French. And what's interesting is even now, if somebody from Maldepeñas meets somebody from Manzanares, which is, let's say, a town about a 15-minute train ride just north, they call them Frances because they were conquered by the French. <laughs> really? So, so Maldepeñas refused to succumb to they it. They call them French. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're, yeah, the Frenchies, yeah, because they were, they were conquered by Napoleon, but Maldepeñas stood strong, and that's why it's a Ciudad Heroica, a heroic city. Mm. Even though the population is that of a town, a, a very small town by UK standards, yeah. actually it, it's, it's got this historical prestige. Now you lived in Valdepeñas for a while. How long were you here? And, and tell us what brought you to, because you now live in Madrid, but tell us what brought you to Valdepeñas first. Yeah, I was here for a year before then moving to Madrid where I've been living for the last three years. Um, I, ca I came out because I finished my master's degree. I had nothing really better to do. And um, a friend of mine said, who, who was actually teaching English here, a Scottish guy, said, you know, we're looking for a teacher. Why don't you come over? And I said, well, why ever not? So I came out not speaking a lot of Spanish, not really knowing what to expect. And it was, it was a bit of a culture shock, as you can imagine. What was it like living in small town Spain for your first experience of living here, maybe compared to now living in, in Madrid, in the capital? I'm guessing you were one of the only guiris or one of the only native English speakers in the town. Yeah, I think there were... I think there were four of us and I lived with two of them so I, I lived with two of the other teachers uh, in the school that I worked in including the Scottish guy that I've just mentioned to you and then there was another guy as well from Hull and that was about it really but I think it was good to having that kind of core group because without it I think it would have been immeasurably more difficult because as you can imagine there's not a lot of people here that speak English and culturally it's not like Madrid where there's people from all over the world where there's a constant influx of new people coming in and out of your life Valdepeñas or, or you know, these small little pueblos in general aren't like that so um, having that key, that key core group really made a big difference I think it, re it really helped so you're saying it's sort of less transient than somewhere like Madrid? Well, yeah, 100%, yeah. Here, for example, I met almost everybody that I would then go on to kind of be friends with or have as acquaintances from my year in basically the first week. And there were very few people that came in and out of my life. There wasn't a lot of yeah, movement or, yeah. or flux in that way at all. And which, which, to some extent, is nice in terms of familiarity. Also, it's a bit complicated in the sense of, you know, meeting new people that keeps things fresh and keeps things, you know, new and, and, and exciting. So that, that in itself was a bit of a challenge, actually. Were you kind of viewed as something of a curiosity by the locals? Yeah, curiosity is an interesting way to put it. Yeah, well, because as well as being very pale and, and at that time not really a very good Spanish speaker, I'm also two metres tall. So I, <laughs> I stood out quite a lot, as you can imagine. Uh, the average height here for, for a man is about, I don't know, five for eight or something. So um, I did really stand out. Um, well, you just made a phone call to make a reservation uh, as someone that, that you know and how you described yourself. You know, the, the English guy, Matt, the tall, the tall guy, that's how, you, yeah, exactly, how they exactly, know you. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Was it easy to integrate with the locals and the rhythm of life in, in somewhere like Valdepeñas? Um, that's a good question. Obviously, as I've already touched upon, the language was difficult because there were, there were English speakers 
native English speakers that I've already talked about, but also in terms of Spanish people that spoke a decent level of English, there weren't too many. And that in itself made it a bit tricky. Um, you know, people were very, very welcoming, but it's very difficult to build relationships with people if you don't have a common language. Or, um, it helped me in the sense that I learned Spanish relatively quickly. I know people that have lived in Madrid, for example, that have lived there for two or three years and really haven't made a lot of progress with Spanish because they're always surrounded by native English speakers. And uh -huh. um, here, you know, that wasn't the case. I really had to kind of immerse myself. In terms of the culture, um, I would say that I did, I did manage to get involved quite quickly. And it's a very appealing culture. I think it's something that, you know, all of us, you know, uh, giddies as it were, as the words you've used, find, you know, agree with them. The culture of being sat in the street, drinking a couple of beers, relaxing, the sun, um, the cheapness of things in these towns in particular, um, that's something that's very appealing. So in, in that sense, it wasn't an enormous culture shock. And um, that, was, that was something very positive. But yeah, in terms of kind of integrating into groups, although people were lovely, if you're, if you're in a group of people and everyone's speaking in Spanish and you don't speak the language, it, it, it is tricky. Yeah, you're stuck. So in that case, then, would you say that coming to somewhere smaller like Valdepeñas compared to one of the big cities, because everyone always thinks of Madrid, Barcelona, maybe Seville, um, Bilbao, wherever, that it's a good way to force someone to, to learn Spanish did you, did you find that you learnt Spanish uh, at a quicker pace than you might have done if you'd gone to a big city? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the attitude of the person as well. But certainly for me, having that motivation of, well, if I don't learn this, every other aspect of my life is going to be massively limited. That really did give me the push I needed. You know, I mean, there was an Irish girl I lived with who had lived here for a couple of years and she didn't really make a lot of progress with the Spanish. But I think it depends on attitude. And also, you can live in Madrid and learn Spanish quickly, right? It just depends on the individual and what your motivations are. But certainly for me, I became extraordinarily frustrated going to the bank and what in the UK would have been really, really, a really routine visit became an absolute, you know, epic challenge and something that caused a lot of anxiety. An ordeal, yeah. Yeah, 100%. And for me, that was something that really got, it wasn't really until I'd already lived in Spain for two years that I stopped rehearsing what I was going to say when I went to the bank. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so to, I think I realized that if I was going to get by here and not kind of come across as an idiot, then I, I had to make the effort. And I did a lot of self-study, but also, People didn't really speak to me in English unless un unless they were people I already knew, because this level here isn't that great. And that yeah, that did really force my hand in terms of sorting myself out and getting on with it. So Matt, we're in Battle of the Penance. There are actually four of us here. We're here with Adam and Chris. We all live in Spain. Adam recently moved to Madrid, actually. So let's make a little bit of a comparison. Matt, you were saying earlier that your first experience of living in Spain was here in Valdepeñas, a small town, so it kind of pushed you to... You had to learn Spanish, really, mm. to survive and to integrate. So for you, Adam, in your experience, how have you found moving to a capital city of six million people, lots of English speakers? Would you say, compared to Matt's experience, it's been a bit more difficult to learn Spanish and integrate? I think what Matt touched on earlier with the attitude of the person is really, really important because for Matt here, he had no choice when he first moved here. I've been here a couple once before and now, and you can already walk around the place and you feel like you know it after a very short period of time. Yeah. You feel like you could immerse yourself very quickly and get to know everything. Whereas the difference with the capital city is still now, a year later, I'm finding new places, new areas every week. And unless you have the attitude of really wanting to force yourself to become part of the culture, it's very easy to meet lots and lots of English speakers. And if you're not careful, you can find yourself surrounded by purely English speakers. And really, it's quite difficult to pick up the culture and especially the language. Chris, would you agree with Adam on that? 
I mean, and also you've spent a lot of time in Battle of the Penis. You know, you know this this town very well. Yeah, I'd say I was first attracted to Spain when I visited Matthew in Valdepeñas. I came for a weekend, very attracted by the country and the, the style of living in this in this little city, heroic city. So when I first moved to Madrid, I was expecting the same sort of lifestyle, I was hoping for the same relaxed, slow lifestyle, but it's actually very different in Madrid. It's, it's very easy to just surround yourself with, with English speakers, and I know I have many friends who who just didn't bother learning Spanish because you can absolutely get away with speaking a bit of a tiny bit of Spanish mixed with English in bars because they're so used to having tourists. I was kind of envious that I didn't get to experience this this immersive Spain because um, Madrid's really not like that. So it's very nice visiting here again and having to speak Spanish. Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely go along with that because I know lots of people who have moved directly to big, big Spanish cities. And I think when you first arrive, maybe your kind of inclination initially is always to, you kind of gravitate to where you feel comfortable initially and it's easy to end up spending time with English speakers and maybe not push yourself as much with the language. Now you live in Madrid, Matt. Did you find when you first moved from here to, uh, from Battle Dependence to Madrid, I don't know, that you started spending more time with English speakers, that your Spanish level decreased? I don't think that, purely because I made a real effort for that not to happen. It's something, it's something I mentioned earlier and what Adam Zora also just said is that I, it just depends on attitude but had I wanted to I could have easily spent all of my time only speaking in English I made a real concerted effort for that not to happen having made a lot of progress in that first year I didn't want to then lose lose the, the improvement that I'd already made yeah. so I, it was it was something that was one of my priorities but I mean I, I absolutely agree with with the premise of what you said then, and also what, what Chris and Adam have touched upon. If you want to, you can live in Madrid very comfortably. You might need someone to, to go to the government offices with you to do some translating, but aside from that, certainly socially, there is absolutely no requirement to learn Spanish, which I think is, is a little sad to some extent. I would say, um, especially there's a lot of um, British and American people who are English speakers in general who come to, this, to Spain will be English teachers. And you're working in English all day and then you're, generally your friends will be English speakers because you're most comfortable like that. And I found my first year is you really have to seek out yeah. ways to speak Spanish. Yeah. You really have to yeah, put yeah. yourself out there. It's, uh, it's not as easy as I assume here where everybody, you have to speak Spanish. In, in Madrid I found myself forcing myself to go to intercambios I don't know, Matt, if there is an opportunity for intercambios here. We did have one, actually. We did have one. There were, um, there were, doc- there were actually doctors from the hospital that were very English and pra- were very interested in practicing their English. I think you might have met them, Chris, actually. And, um, and we used to meet occasionally on a Thursday night. A couple of my friends went more than I did. I used to work until late on a Thursday and then have to come from a neighboring town. So I, I, I occasionally missed, you know, decided not to go because I couldn't, couldn't be bothered simply. But so there was a couple of opportunities to do that. I mean, one of the things here that was great is that, for example, when I first came here, my Spanish was incredibly limited, but I would still go to a bar and get chatting to the waiter, and they would, you know, chew my ear off chatting to me in Spanish. Now, in Madrid, people would just speak to you in English. They'd go, oh, this guy doesn't have a lot of Spanish, I'm just going to speak to you in English. Because, as Chris says, they're used to it because of the tourist, the tourism industry. Here, in terms of international tourism, there's very, very little, as you, as you can imagine. So, um, in terms of language exchanges, there are fewer opportunities, but they're also less necessary. This is my impression, Matt, but would you agree that uh, for uh, an English speaker coming to Spain for the first time, moving to a small city like this would be recommendable for your first year, and then you can move to a city like Madrid, rather than the opposite, I yeah. think? 
That's a really good question. That's, That's really, really what I wanted to ask you, actually. Yeah. This is, I think it's a really good question. It's what, it's what I did. And what I'm, what I'm going to re- reiterate is that my first year here was a challenge, but one, I had a core group of friends who were native English speakers that really supported me. And two, it's undisputable that my Spanish improved immeasurably because of being stuck here and having to sit and chat to the bartender from Malaga who didn't speak any English. And that's what we did. And there were five or ten minutes where he would talk at me incessantly and I didn't know what he was talking about. But I was forced to improve because of that. So that doesn't happen in Madrid. I think that if you lived in Madrid for a year and then you came to a place like this, I think it would be a shock how um, limited your options would be with only English. I read because it's we're, it's pretty deep Spain, really, isn't it? I mean, where we are, this isn't like you said. It's not a, a tourist destination. When you lived here, there are only a handful of uh, non-Spaniards here in Valdepeñas that you socialised with. Chris, you were going to say? Yeah, I think what was really cool to see when I visited visited you, Matt, was um, every bar that we went to. You were a local and you're a regular, and you had this amazing rapport with every single waiter. They were like your best. Well, in a way, a really good friend of yours, or really friendly at least, and chatty, which I just don't have in Madrid. People are friendly, but they're busy. And yeah. They're, yeah. I, I would also say that's just a kind of symptom, capital city syndrome, isn't it? That anywhere in the world, any big city is just less intimate, less friendly than than a small town. Yeah. I mean, actually, where I live in Madrid at the moment, which is in, in Legazpi, just just south of the centre. It's kind of, you have that barrio, that kind of neighbourhood feel to it. And I I would say that actually, I have a similar relationship with some of the shopkeepers, some of the bartenders as I used to have in Balapenas. Just last night, I went into a a corner shop and I was with my girlfriend who lives in a different neighbourhood. And she said the same thing. I want what you have, that people kind of sit and chat to you. I wonder if part of that is because I'm a foreigner and I stand out. And we talked about earlier about how I stand out. But I would agree with what Chris has said is that here, literally everywhere I went, people would go, hello, Matt, hello, Paul, my Scottish friend, hello, there, Maggie, the Irish girl, we yeah. with. how are you? They knew us all. They knew you by, on first yeah. name basis. Yeah. yeah, whereas in Madrid, it might only be one or two places, three or four places I've got that relationship with, as opposed to in the entire town. So I think I would agree with what Chris says, but it depends as well. I mean, if you're in a neighborhood of Madrid, you might strive to get a similar kind of feel. In the center of Madrid, I think might, things might be a bit more complicated. And actually, Adam, I, I, Adam and I live together, and we both live in Legazpi, and we note, we've noted that you don't hear a lot of English spoken around there, mm. as opposed to just a little bit further up up the hill towards the city center in La Vapies or in Embajadores and La Latina, mm. for those of you who know Madrid. Yeah. Um, you hear a lot more English spoken, so it does, it does depend on where you choose to try uh, to live in Madrid, but it, it is definitely true, as uh, what Chris has commented on, that outside Madrid, even in other big cities, but certainly somewhere small like this, making a, a name for yourself and being recognised and, and getting, you know, getting that kind of rapport with people is easy. And I think that you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. It's that rapport, isn't it? It's building that relationship with local people. If, if you're of that mindset of that you want to try, you've come to Spain, to try and integrate with uh, the real Spain, the real you know local life, uh, and make friends with, with with Spaniards. Really, I mean, it's, it's interesting what you said about other parts of Spain. I have a friend who live who lives in Barcelona, and whenever I go to Barcelona, which is quite different to Madrid in this respect, that wherever you go in Barcelona, I find at bars, restaurants, cafes, whatever, and they can obviously tell that you're not Spanish. Yeah. Their their default reaction is they will just speak to you in English, which I find is less common in Madrid, even though it's a big 
city and it has a certain level of tourism but in Barcelona for me I don't know in, in your guys experience it's another level you're anywhere in Barcelona you well you're basically not Spanish or Catalan yeah, so that, that's another whole thing I actually think that's the key thing there were two things to take into consideration I, I completely agree with what you just said one is the fact that Barcelona experiences mass tourism to a level that actually Madrid has nothing you know I can't compare with um, so absolutely that, that's what I was trying to say yeah <laughs> uh, has nothing to see with do you find it's funny when you try to say a Spanish expression in an English way yeah, yeah. without thinking about it yeah yeah, yeah absolutely it's got nothing um, to do with Barcelona 100% yeah um, and in addition to that honestly there is the Catalan thing right so if I walk into a restaurant if I walk into a restaurant in Barcelona for example and I try to speak to them in Spanish if the waiter is Catalan it's quite possible that they would rather speak to him in English than, than, than speak to them in Spanish. No, that, I'm not. I don't want to paint everybody with the same brush, and it's quite no, important. And in some places, that might not be the case. But certainly in more nationalist parts of Catalonia, for example, Girona or places like that, mm. I had a friend that lived in Girona and worked as an English teacher. He said he didn't speak Spanish for a year. He didn't speak any Spanish for a year. Wow, really? Because, because no one would speak to him in Spanish. The kids would all speak in Catalan. The parents would rather speak in English to him than in Castellano. Yeah. So it was, it, you know, they, he didn't speak Catalan, so that wasn't an option. The waiters would speak, rather speak to him in, in English or French rather than Catalan. So, you know, sorry, excuse me, rather than Castellano. Um, you know, so he, because he didn't speak Catalan, he really just spoke in English the whole year. So Barcelona has that factor as well. Yeah, I, mean, I think Barcelona is a kind of a rule unto itself, really. It's incredibly touristy and uh, you have the co-official languages of Catalan and Castellano and... Adam, anything else you'd like to add from your experience? Because you've been, how long have you been in, living in Spain now? I've been living in Spain just under a year now. And one of the things I've noticed from just the small amount of time I've spent in Valdepeñas already is that I think the speed at which you can become accustomed and immerse yourself in a life here will change your first impressions of living in Spain and how you are going to live your life here. Yeah. For me, for living in Madrid, I am still experiencing new neighborhoods and new places. And as Matt pointed out, we live in Legazpi and it's true that we don't always hear English very often. In fact, I've been forced, I'm very fortunate that I've been forced to speak English in places. And as Matt said myself, no, speak Spanish in places, sorry, I apologize. Um, I've been forced to rehearse phrases in my head before going to the supermarket, <laughs> before going to the bank, that is yeah. normal. But here, walking around Valdepenis, you get a feel that you know the city already after a couple of hours of walking around. It's small enough Definitely. that you recognize the area. And in that sense, you will become accustomed to life quicker and be forced to want to have that rapport with the people walking around. Madrid, I can keep walking around new places and always feel a little bit like a tourist, no matter how much I try to speak the Spanish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas here, you immediately feel like you're part of the city and part of the family here already. Mm, I think that's a really good point. I think it's a really good point. And you know, you couldn't come and live somewhere like Valdepeñas and isolate yourself as I'm, the, I'm an English person living in this town because you would never do anything, would you? You'd never meet anybody, really. You'd, you'd never have any other experiences. You'd have very, you'd, uh, you'd have very limited opportunities, 100%. Yeah. You'd lead a very lonely existence. It would be very isolating. Yeah. yeah. I think we could all agree from our points of view. In general, don't, don't come to Spain. Don't go live in a, a, a foreign country and not want to integrate, really. Oh, look, look, there are parts of Spain and I'm sorry, some of your listeners will find themselves in these communities yeah. where 
you absolutely don't need any Spanish. Parts of La Costa del Sol, sorry, for example, or yeah. La Costa Brava, or whatever, where you literally need no Spanish at all. Where have, entire, uh, entire communities. So go on. You have family in this yeah. one of yeah. these parts, my, right? Absolutely. My, my, my aunt and her partner live just, just outside Alicante in a little community where it's all all foreigners as it were and um, my aunt actually does speak a bit of Spanish but not a lot very very basic level less than Adam does now I imagine after one year um, her partner speaks basically nothing and you know they get by absolutely perfectly no problem at all and it was very interesting I was walking through the town with them um, and her partner said this is the bar where the Spanish go <laughs> really which, which oh my I god really, wow yeah, which I thought was <laughs> now, now look I, I mean I can't imagine saying that or no, thinking no, look, in I that have, way I have absolutely no problem I have absolutely no problem at all with, with people coming here because they want to live in the sun and see out their retirement or whatever in a nice climate I have no problem with that but it is true that for me personally and I know that you Paul in particular but also Chris and Adam will agree with this it's extraordinarily enriching to learn the language and to immerse yourself in the culture in a way that I don't know if you have access to that living in these little kind of almost conclaves of Brits or of non-Spaniards. Giddy ghettos. Yeah, I feel like this is one of the main attractions of moving to somewhere like Valdepeñas. Yes, you might not have all of the tourist attractions that I've been fortunate to experience in Madrid. If you're coming here to experience the culture and really immerse yourself in the new life, somewhere like Valdepeñas with its population of 33,000, I said, you met, it's the perfect opportunity to really chuck yourself in at the deep end I truly believe that I think my Spanish would have come on leaps and bounds if I'd really been forced to speak everywhere I go to people talking to my ear talking into my ear for 10 minutes and not necessarily knowing what they're talking about <laughs> rather than someone saying oh well maybe your Spanish isn't so good let's speak English because it's quicker or easier which you just wouldn't find here and that is attractive integrating having some level of language mixing with the locals making friends with with Spaniards it opens so many doors and it takes you to so many places that you would never normally get to go. You get invited to ferias and festivals, you get invited to Spanish weddings, you get invited to go and have lunch with a Spanish family, yeah. you'll meet friends of friends, family members, all of these things, like, you know, which are amazing experiences that you have. That, you know, maybe if you didn't have a language, and I've talked about this before in other episodes, that, you know, you'd completely miss out on this huge chunk of Spanish life. Well, absolutely, 100%. I, completely, I couldn't agree with you more. My partner is Spanish, like, like yours, Paul, and there's nothing more nerve-wracking than meeting your in-laws in, <laughs> in a foreign language, but there's also nothing more rewarding absolutely. than getting through that experience. Absolutely, I so, could not agree with you more. I was lucky enough to make a Spanish friend, uh, actually through teaching, she was my student, but I was invited to her family pueblo, her village, um, which they, as... Well, the Spanish have a tradition of visiting their, their ancestral villages yes. every summer. Yeah. And this was on just on the border between Portugal and Spain, and it's an absolutely tiny place, like a hundred people. And these houses, which are incredibly run down, but people were redoing. And, uh, and I spent three days with them in a place where there were absolutely no foreigners, and it would never happen. And I was sitting down with this family, eating, eating their home-cooked food, speaking in Spanish at their dinner table, and being taken on these amazing amazing sort of um, journeys every day which you'd never experience if you don't integrate yeah those kind of experiences are wonderful experiences the kind of experience where you sort of you almost sort of pinch yourself and think how have I how have I yeah, got absolutely. how have I found myself here in this situation yeah, exactly a lad a lad from Scarborough finding himself surrounded by 12 <laughs> Spanish people right. at the head of the table right yeah and then they say to you something like um, 
you know, it's very it's nerve-wracking experience, right? Speaking in front of another 12 of people. Course. You pitch yourself and you go, how am I here of yeah. all places? Yeah. And you don't necessarily get that from just staying in Malasani or La Vapiers or Solo, a really central cosmopolitan area of Madrid. Which, don't get me wrong, I love the cosmopolitan aspect mm. of, elements of Madrid. I absolutely adore that. Yeah. But it's also true that if you want Spanish, Spanish de pura cepa, like a pure Spanish experience, Madrid, certainly not central Madrid, is, you know, it might, it might, it might be difficult to get that. Yeah. yeah, guys, forget Barcelona, Madrid, <laughs> Seville. Go and, go and stick a pin in a map of Spain and find yourself a little pueblo in the middle of nowhere and get yourself there and go and learn. Because one thing also, just quickly to touch on, that you didn't have any problem finding work teaching English. No, no, here. no. no problem. Obviously, as I mentioned before, I did know a guy already but it is also true that, um, you know, so I already had a, a connection here. Mm. But, I mean, if you go online, you find any old little Spanish town and you just Google the word Academia de Inglés, English Academy or something, there, there are lots of places you can send a CV to and they'll yeah. be delighted to have an English I mean, native I'm, English speaker. I'm guessing it will be difficult to find work maybe as a non-Spanish speaker or as a native English speaker with some Spanish. Somewhere like Valdepeñas. I mean, I suppose you know, teaching English is the obvious choice in the smaller towns or villages in Spain, yeah. as opposed to the big cities which have, you know, international, multinational companies and that kind of thing. Yes, I think Chris rightly pointed out earlier, with some good local knowledge, that Valdepeñas is the 256th largest municipio in Spain. I challenge anybody to go to the 257th <laughs> and immerse yourself in this in the, in the community life of Spain. Go and find an even smaller one. I, but uh, you, what I wanted to say was. Um, you were talking about finding jobs and as English teachers in these, put a pin in the map, find a job as an English teacher yeah. and experience the, the, lo the local community and immerse yourself. But um, you may find in a smaller town your, your salary may be lower, mm. but generally uh, the, as the, the towns become smaller, the, the, li the lifestyle becomes cheaper, so yeah. it, it works out. You're, you're likely to earn less outside Madrid or Barcelona. Mm but the cost of living is, is generally considerably low as well. Well, actually, that's a really important point to mention, actually. So, I mean, just give us a quick comparison in terms of cost of living. Give us a, an impression of your rent, like, compared to here with Madrid. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, I pay, I share with one person in Madrid at the moment and pay 500 euros a month, which, to share with one person, it, it, fairly centrally, is actually very reasonable. Um, in Valdepeñas, I shared with two people, and I paid 120 euros a month. 120 euros a month. I yeah, mean, I think there'll be a lot of listeners that. hearing that, their minds exploding, thinking 120 a month to live in Spain yeah, I think each was, month. I think it was, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was 120. And then on top of that, we paid the bills and things, which weren't a lot, and then the you know, internet and things. But it was very cheap, but then the salary was a lot lower as well, right? So the cost of a pint, the cost of, the cost of a beer is much less. Um, so, you know, you've got to weigh these things up. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily turn up to any old town willy-nilly and just kind of throw, you know, go, <laughs> just go, right, I'm looking for a job. I would, I would consider it very carefully. Do your research. 100%. Yeah. But um, it, is something that, um, it is something that is worth bearing in mind that if you already had savings in Sterling, for example, having, having worked in the UK previously, you could come to a small town like this and live extraordinarily well off a very modest salary from the UK, for example. Matt, it's interesting you said to do your research before moving to a place. I was very fortunate and Matt was the one who invited me to Spain just as his Scottish friend invited him here. Um, but what I wanted to ask is that in Madrid, 
I would say it's actually been fairly simple for me to get set up with it being a capital city, the offices are very easy to access and with a Spanish speaker in terms of Matt being here already, very simple for me in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. I just want to ask how difficult is it to move to a place like this in terms of the paperwork, in terms of setting yourself up a life here? Because it seems to me like you could get set up very quickly in terms of the culture, but how easy is it with the bureaucracy? Yeah. That's, that's a really important question i think that the, the the key the key point i'd like to raise is that in madrid the immigration office the office that the extranjería is in aluche but you know what at least it's only a metro right away you can get there from where we live in about 25 minutes yeah. in in valdepeñas there isn't an immigration office you have to get an hour bus to ciudad real which is the capital of the province oh you have to go to ciudad yeah. real yeah and, and also yeah so it'd be an hour bus there and an hour bus back and the bus doesn't actually leave you outside the office, you've then got to walk there. And in addition to that, the bus times, like in most places in provincial Spain, are very erratic. Mm. So <laughs> Erratic is a good yeah. word, yeah. So it means that you don't necessarily get there when you want to get there. To that extent, it, it's... Gracias. The waiter's just come past. Um, so to that extent, it is more complicated because not every town has all of the offices and all of the bureaucratic centers that are required in a, in a way that a major city, Madrid, Barcelona, Seville, even somewhere like even somewhere like Albacete or somewhere, mm. the capital of the province is going to have that, Ciudad yeah. Real, whereas somewhere like Valdepeñas isn't going to have that. That's, that's, a, that's an important consideration, I guess, because as we all know, with Spanish bureaucracy, quite often you have to go backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, make numerous appointments, you have to go back to sign something. So to that extent, it is, it is more tricky it's trickier, I should say, because you've actually got to dedicate basically the whole day to doing basic paperwork in a way that Madrid, it, what you might dedicate two hours to, yeah. in 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 somewhere smaller. Yeah. And this is this is this is we're lucky that Valdepeñas is only one hour away from the, the from the province capital. In other parts of Spain, you might be you might be going an hour and a half, two hours on the bus. So um, it, yeah, that's another point taken into consideration. I'd say. I know I know that we've maybe painted Valdepeñas as kind of idyllic place to visit <laughs> and I'm sure that the tourist industry in Valdepeñas of next month is going to boom considering right. considering the influence that your podcast has Paul wow. but <laughs> but one thing I'll take into consideration is that yeah as Adam says it, it, or Adam has kind of hinted at with that question it can be tricky in that sense yeah turn your paperwork into a day trip mm. today we were very fortunate that we between us we've hired a car to drive here from Madrid and as we said earlier it was two hours pretty much on the nose door to door from Madrid to Valdepeñas. Yes, yes. In terms of connectivity to the rest of Spain, I wonder how difficult it was for Matt to go and use Valdepeñas as a hub for the rest of Spain. Is, is, does Valdepeñas have, in these pueblos such as Valdepeñas, does it have good connectivity with the other parts of Spain? Or once you're here, do you feel isolated? Do you, did you ever go and leave Valdepeñas to go experience other parts? Or do you, without even thinking, become part of the community so much so that you're like a local and you never leave. That's a really good point because obviously you kind of take, you could take for granted the fact that you can jump on an Ave train, you, it's well connected with flights, you can get to any corner of Spain really easily uh, in any kind of mode of transport. But I guess, yeah, living somewhere like this, it's not as easy to say, oh, I think I'll do a weekend or I'll do a day trip to wherever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've already said about even just getting to the province capital is an hour on the bus. But as I did touch upon earlier, Valdepeñas is on the main the main motorway going south. So in terms of in terms of connectivity, you're two hours from Madrid on a train, and if you want to get south to Cordoba, to Granada, somewhere like that, actually it's fairly well connected. Actually, getting to other little towns within Ciudad Real, within the province, can be difficult because of the buses. 
which are not always the most reliable. Mm. Um, and certainly have timetables that are not particularly um, useful at times. There are other places in Spain that are much worse connected. And again, in terms of what you've mentioned, Paul, and what we you know, and yeah. also about, in terms of doing research, I would say that, that that's that's key as well. In terms of in terms of we're just we're, we're just for the listeners' benefit, we are just having a few beers, and uh, they are bringing us some tapas. So when we sort of stop and. Uh, that, that, well, that's absolutely, why, and that's and, why. And this is the thing. There's something you get in the small towns, certainly to going south, that you don't necessarily get in Madrid. Is free food when you order a drink. These will be about two. Yeah, I mean, this is incredible. Just for the listeners, we're drinking kind of like this is really curious. I mean, we might we should we should mention it. We're drinking from these kind of terracotta porcelain mugs, which I've never seen before. I don't think it's certainly not in Madrid. Uh, of beer, so it's something a bit medieval about this. Yeah, me, yeah, right. And then they're bringing us this very generous tapas. Of tortilla, we've had uh, we've had a little uh, tapa of paella, mm-hmm. and now we've got what looks like I don't know what that is. It's like a little burger, isn't a it? Little, a little burger on open, some bread. An open burger. <laughs> it's not the most typical tapa uh, I've seen, but you know, decent, it's, decent size. It's something that you do sometimes get in Madrid, but very, very infrequently in the centre. Yeah. I think going out towards the neighbourhood that I live in, a bit more common. Yeah. Further out of Madrid, a bit more common. But um, once you come to these smaller towns, particularly heading south, where there is a richer tradition of, of the tapa or yeah. the aperitivo, yeah. then, um, then actually you, you will find yourself getting free food with a drink, which is, as an English person, is an absolute delight. I, I just want to change the subject quickly. I also want to pick your brains briefly on Ciudad Real. Because I've heard really bad things about Ciudad Real. I've even had like Spaniards. I've got some friends from Albacete say, oh God, Ciudad Real is like one of the like, ugliest. Why would anyone ever want to go to Ciudad Real? A bit like for any listeners in the UK that know Coventry, it's kind of sometimes compared. Sorry for listeners in Coventry. Um, and my, uh, my future wife, Karina, lived in Coventry for about a year, I think. And I would say, why did you choose Coventry? Is it, is it as bad as no, people no, make out? No, Ciudad Real, for a Spanish city, is not beautiful. The square is fine. It has a cathedral that is quite nice. But the thing is... Castilla Mancha in itself is one of the prov- one of the communities of Spain that people don't really visit. Mm. Of of the provinces here, you've got Toledo, which is nice and very easily accessible from Madrid. Mm. You've got Cuenca, which is also very beautiful. You've got Guadalajara, which isn't that beautiful, but is very close to Madrid, and people live mm. there to commute. Then the other two provinces are Albacete, Cague y Bete. Albacete, Caga y Bete. I love this expression. Albacete, Caga y Bete. What does it mean? Abacete, shit and get out. Shit and go. Shit and leave. Shit and get out. Yeah. Because there's nothing there. Yeah. I mean, sorry to Letty and Juanpa, my two Spanish friends who are from Albacete. Ciudad <laughs> um, Real is similar. You know, lack of... I know, we've already talked about the things that this area is famous for in terms of wine, in terms of... The landscape's quite monotonous. It's yeah, described it's, it's, as a monotonous, arid, arid yeah. flat, windy landscape. Absolutely, which is why it's great for windmills. But, <laughs> but it's... Um, it's not great for scenic routes. It's not like Galicia or uh, even Andalusia. Yeah. Ciudad Real and Albacete don't have the same, I don't know, kind of uh, beauty spots that Toledo no. or Cuenca would have, no. and they don't have the proximity to Madrid that Guadalajara has. Um, and for that reason, they don't necessarily attract a lot of attention. Albacete has a very, a very, very famous party. Is it the beginning of September? I, <laughs> yeah. Is it? Yeah, it's yeah. at the beginning of September. I think it's the first or second week, yeah. And it's also famous, Albacete, for buying big knives. Uh, it's the, the, it used to be the, the main biggest, the, the, the center of knife manufacture in Spain. Um, and the, the, the Feria de Albacete is very famous. It's very big. And I, 
of a, an embarrassing story about that where I got lost and woke up on a bench. But t- t- tell us that no, one. I don't think we're going to that now. <laughs> I've never been to Albacete, and I'm sure it's delightful. Bethesda <laughs> Real's not that bad. I like it. I would say in comparison with most small provincial English cities, it's it's quite nice. Quite nice. But in comparison with other yeah. cities of the area, to, as I said, Toledo, Cuenca, even a bit further south, Granada, Jaén is actually it doesn't get a lot of fame, but it's also naturally quite beautiful amongst the mountains. Yeah. For that reason, Ciudad Real doesn't get a lot of attention. But I mean, it's fine. Don't necessarily book a four-week holiday there, but but, but it's 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 all right. <laughs> Okay, so there you have it. That's a little bit of uh, information about Valdepeñas. I hope all of our insights were entertaining and also useful for you guys, listeners, especially, as I said at the top of the podcast, for anyone who's interested in coming to live and work in Spain in the future. I hope the information has been useful for you. I shall leave it there for this episode. I will be back with a new episode next week. Uh, In the meantime, have a great week wherever you're listening from. Thank you for continuing to listen and support the podcast. Uh, Just another big thank you to the new When in Spain patrons. Uh, I really appreciate your support. So, until the next time, muchísimas gracias y hasta luego. Oh, 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 oh,